Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. And today I'll be talking about culture across borders. Hello everyone, my name is Pankuri Singh. I'm a second year PhD student in the Department of English and Film Studies. Now, what exactly is decolonization? Decolonization is the process in which a country that was formerly a colony that was colonized by imperialism or by a power, they, they go away and they make that country independent and they lose they stop controlling that country and that country becomes independent in turn. This is the process of decolonization. Now, India became independent from the British Empire on the 15th of August, 1947. Though it became a republic, it decided to be a part of the Commonwealth of Nations. Hence, it did not severe away all the ties from the British Empire. By being a part of the Commonwealth of Nations, it accepted the honorary monarchy uh, being being a part of the Indian constitution and in, the, in I'm sorry, not the Indian constitution, but of the Indian public in the, in, in the general terms. Now talking a, a little bit about what the history of India and the UK share is, trade was established between Tudor England and Mughal India in the 1600s. When Elizabeth, when Elizabeth I granted the newly formed English, um, East India Company a royal charter by sending precious gifts to the Mughal court emperor of Akbar the Great. Following the Indian rebellion of 1857, where Indian sepoys rebelled against their British officers, the East India Company was dissolved. The assets of the British East India Company were so huge that the British government decided to step in and after a series of military encounters established British dominion over India. Later, the English sought to consolidate their political control by taking responsibility to improve the lot of the masses by imparting modern Western education. They took over on themselves, which is dubbed as the white man's burden. They took over the responsibility of making the Indian masses socially, religiously, morally, economically better human beings. A part of this being Lord Macaulay's minute on Indian education, which came out in the year 1835. He wanted to establish a class of persons, Indian in blood and color, but English in taste, opinion, morals, and intellect. According to him, these people would act as intermediaries between the British rulers and the masses that they were to rule. Indians, however, welcomed this decision with open arms. They had their own perceived notions that this charter, this minute would help them. It was not just the freedom fighters, but also the social reformers who saw the benefits of this plan and how it would work in their own favor. Reformers like Raja Ramohan Roy and others grabbed the opportunity to do away with the dogmatic and orthodox religious rites when they realized that a new scientific approach 
would be imparted to the Indian education and they would realize that these religious rights were dogmatic and not really something that should be followed. Similarly, the freedom fighters too grabbed this opportunity and thought of collaborating with each other from different parts of the country to, to, um, to move forward their nationalist independence movement. Now, why was that? It was because India was and still continues to be multilingual. It has 22 languages recognized in the eighth schedule of the Indian constitution. And when Lord Macaulay's minute came into being, then English became the lingua franca and freedom writers from across regions could actually connect and make plans that would work for the very downfall of the British Empire that, that, brought, that had brought this English language into the country. While all of this was going on in the political front, in the literary front, Shakespeare as a playwright began to gain popularities. His stories of greed, power, revenge, and jealousy were timeless, and they knew no borders. Even after independence, Indians continued to like his plays. Filmmakers took an opportunity to make films that were based on Shakespeare's plots. And they thought that his plots were timeless and they could actually adapt them to the Indian culture. This brings me to my research topic, which is how Bharadwaj transculturally adapted the Elizabethan drama to the Indian setting. Today, I will be talking about how the Elizabethan drama written by William Shakespeare in 1604, that is Othello, gets adapted into Omkara, which was a film that released in the year 2006 by Vishal Bharatwaj. Culture cannot be bounded by geographical borders. The emotions of discontentment, jealousy, insecurity are felt by all residing in any part of the world. Bharatwaj is banked on the Shakespearean play and takes pride in being associated with the writer who wrote for the regime which ruled his country for centuries. The filmmaker, however, does not blindly transform the Elizabethan play of Shakespeare into a film. Rather, he adds the elements of Indianness in it, which makes the adaptation a unique process. He adds in Hindu mythic elements and other features that are exclusive to India. The chief point of the play, Othello, is that Othello belongs to a different race than Desdemona, the counterpart, the female counterpart. This gets transculturally adapted in the Indian setting by Bharatwaj when he banks on the emotion of jealousy and insecurity. He bases his film on the very inhibition, which also happens to be a very famous Hindi dialogue in the Bollywood cinema, that a girl and a boy can never be just friends. This inhibition was a root cause for Omkara's jealousy and the belief that Dolly, Desdemona, might have cheated on him with Kesu, that is Cassio. While in the play, Iago makes Rodrigo believe that Desdemona loves Cassio, he says that they have the same appearance and that Othello is dark, 
that's bringing in the, the disparity of color between the lovers. In the film, this gets adapted when Dolly and Kesu are seen together and they seem compatible because they share the same educational background. The, uh, the, the, um, the issue of caste, the issue of color never finds a mention. It is because they were educated together that they become compatible, thereby making Omkara jealous and insecure that he is a brute and therefore he is not as in par with, with Kesu as he would have been had he been Western or modern educated. The second method of adapting the play is when Bharatwaj reimagines the character of Indu, the Indian counterpart for Emilia, making her a vengeful deity, Kali, who kills her husband, Langratyagi, the Iago figure, for the misdeeds he had done. Thus, Bharatwaj here takes a significant departure from the text because while in the play, Emilia dies at the hands of Iago, and that is how we, we see that that's how uh, Emilia is not really able to uh, stand up for Desdemona. Indu, however, becomes the avenging mother who redresses the wrongs done to her. Not only her, but also Dolly, who she thinks to be her younger sister or her child. The name Indu means moon, and according to the Hindu mythology, the moon protects the inhabitants of the earth in, in the night from the evil forces that lurk in the dark. Similarly, Indu too redresses the wrongs meted out on Dolly by Langra, and the scenes take place in the darkness of the night, where Indu, as a protector of the good forces, fights against the evil forces, which here are represented in Langra, and defeats him. Even though Indu is not the female protagonist here, her position in the development of the plot is of significant value. In the film, Iago is called Langra, meaning lame, which attributes to another mythological figure, Shani. Shani is a planet that, according to the Hindu mythology, is a slow-moving planet that revolves around the sun and is associated with black color and walks with a limb. This mythical figure is associated with bad luck and thus the growing influence of Langra in Omkara's life can be equated to the beginning of Omkara's downfall. Since Shani is said to be the god of karma or one's actions, it can be concluded that Omkara is himself involved in his own downfall as he is unable to see the truth and falls for the deceitful plans of Langra. Shani is also associated with black color as I've taught, um, uh, talked about. He, walk, he can be seen in the film in the form of Langra, who walks in with a limp in the dark alleys. He is always shot in dim light and he adds to the mystery, which brings about a kind of mystical persona that holds some secrets within his heart and that alludes to the dark intentions that he has. My argument is that while Iago becomes the green-eyed monster in Othello, Langra becomes the demonic figure associated with evil and dark forces, and black is the color associated with him. Bharatwaj also seems to have borrowed from Ramayana, 
when adapting Othello to the Indian context, as the basic factor remains that both in the epic, so in the play or in the film, where uh, the main character are misled to distrust the loyalty of their respective wives. Just as in Ramayana, Lord Ram believes the words of a washerman and thinks goddess Sita was not loyal to him, so does in the film Omkara believe the words of Langra and considers that Dolly is having an illicit affair with Kesu behind his back. The words of Braventino, who is Desdemona's father to Othello, Look, look at her more if thou have eyes to see. She has deceived her father and may she thee. Get an Indian adaptation to the words Triya Charitra. Triya Charitra is a term that is mentioned in Manusmriti, which is a religious, religious Hindu text. It refers to the mysterious character of women, which is translated or real translation stands as, nobody knows about the character or tendency of a woman. It is thus a critical evaluation of how Shakespeare's plays were translocated and adapted into the Indian setting, along with aiming, rethinking, and repositioning Shakespeare in the 21st century Indian cinematic setting, acting as a cultural bridge, joining the culture of two different countries together. Thus fighting over the past and thinking that things were different and they would have been better if they were different, it is better if we see a future that knows no boundaries and that where, where we share, uh, I'm sorry, and a, a future where we share the same legacy and making a new history where all of our cultures collaborate. My larger argument thus is if we as new age researchers are able to strike a balance between the methods and means by which the old Pinocchio texts are read and analyzed, and a connection is established between the colonizing power, not seeing it as a curse, but rather seeing, is seeing it as a means of new forms of connection, a, col a new area of decolonizing research, will develop. It would see literature as belonging to all. It does not restrict it by borders or by geopolitics or where the nations or the nationality of the author lies, but rather assimilating and making literature anew, accessible to all. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development, and everything in between.